here's the typical thing is I get to the show, I had to play twice on this trip. And first time, uh, where was the first one that I did? I, oh yeah, it was uh, for some fused TV thing. And I was supposed to play with this drummer. And uh, it was kind of surreal because I showed up in this studio and I had a drum kit in my amp. And I turned around and I plugged in my tuner and my delay unit. I turned back around, the drums are gone, and I found out the drummer decided he just didn't want to play. It freaked him out too much. Really? So, so it wound up being a solo gig. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I noticed my tone control was stuck. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, somewhere, on the, most likely in the flight over here, it got compressed or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So I just left it alone. It was kind of stuck off. And then yesterday morning, when I got to the Fox TV, I touched it again, the thing just came right out of the guitar. But luckily, it was off, so yeah, yeah. I so could do the song. Doing anything. Yeah. You could do what you needed to do. But I reminded myself, like, always have a backup, and I just didn't think about it this time. Yeah, yeah, always say, I mean, I'm knocking on wood right now, but I, I never try. I just have one guitar, and that's what I travel with, and it doesn't even have a tone control on oh, it. So there you go. See, that's one less thing to break. I guess, I guess I have plenty of other options, though, since I have the bass and the guitar. There's always something interesting that happens, so... I just prepare for it and then let it roll however it's going to roll, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but man, that's so funny. You know, I was just, uh, my, my mom was over and she said to say oh, really? hi to you, oh, by wow. the way. Yeah, she lives in Florida now. I don't know why she moved down there. She's she's like the least likely candidate to, to live move in to Florida. Florida. Right. Yeah, you know. Well, maybe she'll change Florida. Yeah, but slowly, <laughs> very slowly, I can imagine. <laughs> but she had given me a bunch of checks that were for you eight dollar checks for the lesson for oh, my guitar wow. lessons with you from back in the day <laughs> and um yeah I, re I remember that very very well and i remember being like a 14 year old kid and playing a little guitar you know and coming to you and 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 i remember being because i was just a disaster you know i was just like a teen you know typical berkeley teenage kid no yeah. parental really supervision <laughs> you know what i mean and and i was playing and you said i said yeah i just want to learn like a few chords and you know a few things and you go well, well why do you want to be a jack of all trades i can see you can play you might want to just actually really learn if you're going to study with me you're going to learn <laughs> i'm not and then i said oh okay and i and then i came to the lesson and um there was a guy in there before me who i thought was a grown man he was probably 17. All right. you know what i mean yeah. and he came out of the lesson with this flushed face looked like he was very con <laughs> consternation i was like uh-oh. Uh -oh. So I went in there, and I guess the first was, okay, you gave me a ton of stuff, and then by the next week I was like, man, I'm going to go back there because I'm not going to go out like that motherfucker did, man. I'm coming back there, and I had my shit down, you know. Yeah. And I was like, man, I had, whatever it was, you know. But um, I pissed off a lot of people. I mean, those, some of those students, would after like three weeks, would just show up just to yell at me, you know. They were just... <laughs> I ruined their life, and I was. I just sit but, there and go, "All right, you're done. Get out of here." But know? why did they yell at you? You were giving them uh, value. Some, yeah. Some. They, they, a lot of it was usually the older guys who uh -huh. would show up, who assumed that uh, I would, you know, move their hands around uh, like a chiropractor, and suddenly they'd be great. You know, just go, <laughs> "You're all right now." You know. And, you know, but they, they'd come in, uh, you know, after work, whatever job they had, and they'd say, you know, I just want to be able to play all of this music. And right. I'd just say, well, that's not the reality. You can't do yeah, that, yeah. you know. Yeah. you got to practice. 
Yeah, and they for didn't sure. want to hear that there was a 14-year-old kid who would play for two hours. Right. And and they would progress. And, and, I, and that part of that was the age thing that they started to realize that um, that they were getting older, and, and right. things change when you get older. You don't yeah. progress the same way. And so yeah. I'd have to say, you got to, you know. Your your asset is your brain here. Fourteen year old has no brain. They got yeah. the they got the body. <laughs> they, they got the soul, you know. And you you may have lost a little body, but you've got a brain now. So yeah, yeah, you can yeah. make fifteen minutes like the like what it takes a kid three hours. Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. But they, yeah, if, you, uh, if you want to apply yourself. To yeah. That, but yeah. most of most of your comrades at the time, mm-hmm. the kids going to uh, Berkeley High and El Cerrito High, Albany, whatever, wherever the schools were around there. That was a movement. It was the new breed of players. And he, most of you went off in different directions. A couple of them stayed in that hardcore metal scene, but most of you branched out into different areas, but you all had uh, the, the, the passion, yeah, you know, that, yeah. which is necessary. A teacher can only just provide the information and. Right, but and that was a thing I have to tell you because of growing up in that area where there was so much information, um, not just to the you know from you, but there there in addition to you there were just so many people that were my mom's age that had all of that blues information and all of that folk information, and then you would turn on the radio, and then there was the jazz program at Berkeley High School. It was just like this crazy music program. And I remember when I became a street musician, I just kind of ended up in Europe, you know what I mean? Like, and I was playing on the streets, and I met some crazy good musicians, like oh, Spanish really? Gypsy guy that I played with a lot. It was a bunch of great musicians. Um, and um, the guitar thing was like, they would be like, you know, because I'd play on the street, and they'd be like, they couldn't believe it. They'd, you got to come see this guy play guitar. I was like, what? I'm just, I'm just an, it's nothing special. And it really wasn't anything special for someone who came from Berkeley. I was just another guy on the in, in that group of people who I didn't stand. I was okay, you know, at that age. I did my best, you know. Uh-huh. But these guys had never seen these techniques or this kind of guitar playing. Uh-huh. And I was just they're like, show me that thing and I was just like, Well, you you don't know this? I mean, I thought everybody knew how to do this, and that was because of you, because you had so much information that you were imparting. And, and I, you know, people will always ask me, oh, well, you know, they can't believe it when I tell them, like, oh, you know, Joe, Joe Satriani was, was my guitar teacher. Like, what? Get out of here. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. It's like, he, he didn't have any specific aesthetic that he was teaching. He was just teaching, the, like, Sigurd Rauscher with the saxophone, where it was a very specific nuts and bolts technical approach yeah. to getting around on the instrument that you could use in any situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So thanks. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I was I guess I was a product of that too in a, in a very different way. I didn't have the guitar teacher, but I had those guys, Bill Westcott, the the theory teacher at my high school. Uh, and that and was in uh, Long Island, right? Yeah, right? Car Place. I grew up technically in Westbury. Oh, okay. And but it was, I guess, a little sliver of the town that uh, they didn't want or something. I don't know. So when I went to public high school, I had to go to the neighboring high school, which was the Car Place High School. Oh, okay. Smaller, smaller town, and um, small school. Uh, but they did have this. This young guy showed up just as I was starting eighth grade, I think, um, and uh, he, he was. Now I, I have perspective on him, but he was a young man 
who probably wanted to be a concert pianist and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. He graduated. That from, happens to a lot of people. Yeah, he was a Juilliard graduate, mm -hmm. and then, you know, but he wound up teaching at this godforsaken public school <laughs> on Long Island. The poor guy. Um, uh, but he inspired me, and uh, he was strangely uh, flamboyant, uh, a great teacher. But he didn't mind, you know. I mean, I. I I was into Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, but I, uh, I wanted to know how to be great. I wanted the secret of music, you know. And mm -hmm. I, I was a young kid who grew up listening to jazz and classical in the house, and anything that my older siblings listened to. So all 50s rock and roll and blues and soul music, mm -hmm. uh, Motown, what became rock, all that stuff I inherited from my older siblings, and yeah. I watched from the corner of the room as they all party to it. Sure, know. sure. Were they much older than you, or? Yeah, my older sister's uh, nine and seven years older oh, than okay. me. Oh, okay, and that's and a different generation, musically speaking. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so when I was still quite young, when I was getting into high school, they were leaving for college and then mm. leaving the house. Uh, so by the time I started playing guitar, uh, it was really only my brother, um, hanging out of the house full time. Uh, he was two grades ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So then, as I'm really like, you know, 10th grade, high school band's doing great, you know, uh, living the rock and roll high school lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was the only one in the house and, and they didn't take their records with them, so. Right. Um, and I think uh, my, my mom's collection started to grow. She started to uh, modernize her her jazz age uh, outlook. So that's really? where I was hearing, um, you know, you'd hear like Stanley Turrentine. Oh, that's uh, my favorite. Next oh, to man. all the, the bird records I used to hear when I was a lot younger and Eddie Harris. And oh, it was yeah. just a lot of great stuff. That Oh, Eddie Harris is the is the bomb. There's another, my <laughs> partner, Adam Dorn, is his dad was, and he, Adam as well, knew Eddie Harris very well. I mean, I oh, went really? to a massive Eddie Harris phase oh. where I had to transcribe everything he was doing. I was oh, like, really? This is the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> to me, just because it was the perfect blend, I'm always looking for that stuff that is the perfect balance of the intellectual and the visceral. Yeah. You know, and he had that just boom right there it's like yeah. as intellectual as you want to get but the blues and the soul and the funk it's all in there yeah. and i mean he would apparently he would just take some story about him adam told about how he was it was like a montro like you know atlantic records anniversary thing that happened i think later in the 80s maybe in the 90s and there were all these younger guys that were on the, the roster and they did this show and they all took solos, and these heavy cats. Yeah. And then he, he just came, in his solo, he played all their solos back to them. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, that's a little painful and a little cold-blooded, but wow. still pretty badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I mean, it's just a cat like that. But um, you also, I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid taking lessons from you, you would always tell me about these musicians, of course, that I had never heard about, you know? Um, and later on, of course, I, I was like, whoa, uh, I bought a record. And like he told Joe told me about this. You told me about taking um, guitar lessons with Billy Bauer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and I bought those records, the Bird records with Billy wow. Bauer on them, like the later records. Yeah. And of course, the Lenny Tristano yeah. stuff. You know, you told me some actually really funny stories about Billy Bauer. You know, that they might not funny. be repeatable here, but very cool, <laughs> though, you know. Well, the, the, you know, the, my fondest memories of 
of Billy was he liked to sit close, so we would be like this close, you know, uh -huh. like two feet away, right? <laughs> and he would look at you, and the, his eyes weren't totally in focus, you know? <laughs> and everything he played, he would scat along with. Mm -hmm. So you, you just got to imagine me. I was a really long-haired, just heavy rocker kid, yeah. you know? And um, I'd show up with a slinky, slippery electric guitar, uh -huh. you know? And he'd have his acoustic. He'd always play acoustic, and and he'd be explaining something, and he'd go dooby 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 dooby, and he'd just he'd be staring at me and shaking his head back and forth, and I'm thinking, what? Where does this guy go from? You know? And he'd do that for ten minutes, and he'd say, I'll be right back. Gotta go get a sandwich. Yeah. And that's every lesson, same thing. I, yeah. No matter what time I showed up, he, he had, had to get, to get a, sandwich, a sandwich. Quote unquote. And he'd come back and. The, the toupee would be crooked and his eyes would be even more out of focus. And he'd want to doobie 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 doobie. And it was, you know. There's nothing like a crooked toupee <laughs> that, that really, for some reason, as, as like nice as we try to be or as intellectual or far away from being like teenagers as we try to be, if you see someone with a messed up toupee on, it's off. The whole thing is, and, and I have, you know, you know in Japan when you land at Narita and there's that ridiculous security line that snakes, yes, and yeah. it snakes forever, well, I was on it with a band, and this is, must be 20 years ago, and you know, you're on that flight, and by the end of that flight, you're completely open to any, any, uh, any like distraction and there was this Japanese businessman who was very elegantly dressed like very elegant except he had the most absurd toupee oh. on his head that I've ever seen it was like it looked like Gaudi had designed it or something and so you know and every time the line with the first saw it we looked at each other <laughs> trying not to laugh and every time the line it kept snaking back oh, and, you're going and you'd see, you had to see the guy like 10 times and by the 10th time we were just like we, we couldn't help it anymore, and he still he had no idea what was going on. But we were Aww. just crying. It was pretty pretty awful. But <laughs> but I have a friend who who's, talks about his dad wearing his toupee, and he goes, "The problem it's ridiculous." And I tell him it's ridiculous. But people who wear toupees, they can't leave the house without it because they feel naked. Yeah, it's like a psycho. It's a psychosis kind yes, of thing. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a terrible thing. I remember that. I think that that popped into my head. When I started to lose my hair and I was thinking like, well, you know, what am I going to do about it? There were a couple of things. I, I, I had, you know, my relatives that I loved and they were proudly bald. And uh, I thought, so what's, what's my yeah, problem, yeah. right? And then, but I remembered my reaction being a young kid to this guy, who Billy, who was just a tremendous musician, but still I couldn't get over the, the whole shifting toupee thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you might as well just you know, shave it off. It. Yeah, let it go. Just let, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm really waiting for that time. I still happen to have some hair left. I, I don't know how. My my 102 year old grandfather still has got a bunch of hair. Is that too, right? So yeah. maybe that bodes well yes, for me. It I don't does. know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I have to say about Billy. You know, he um, he taught me a couple of things that were great. You know, three octave plus fingered uh, scales, um, arpeggios that kind of made sense to me. Uh, although I still can't play him good. It's like the it's. He knew my weakness right away. He said, you know, here's this pamphlet with arpeggios. Was like, right. I didn't know they would haunt me for the rest of my life. Really? You know? I mean, what was it? A, was it about simple. A you know, oh, major, okay. minor, augmented, diminished. And right. He said, you should learn these everywhere in every key. Here, here's this little pamphlet I wrote. Right. And, um, but it just, you know, it's always to this day I practice them. I think I play them 
only as well as I did when I was 15. Right, right, I don't right. Know why. Oh, no, I have some stuff like that, <laughs> but I don't practice it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even drive that anymore. I'm just like, ah, it's okay. This is a, my car, I the, 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 uh, physiognomic car I drive is a Buick and it always starts um, up but it just doesn't go very fast <laughs> it's comfortable it's comfortable yeah. it's a comfortable car and the groove is usually pretty good it just doesn't go very fast <laughs> you know I have a picture of Billy Bauer that I found less than a year ago um, I'd never seen it before and it was him sitting on a stage with Lenny Tristano and Bird and Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, this illustrated how he was he was swinging with the big guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, no, he was a badass. Yeah. He was great. He was great. And and uh, then you know when I started taking lessons from Lenny, I, I didn't know the connection until I was there when sitting in in the um, waiting room, and all the other students were so into Lenny. I, oh my God! It really? was like I showed up at a. When was this? Like late seventies, mid seventies. Mid seventies. Yeah, seventy yeah, four ish. And um, yeah, once again, I showed up looking like I was ready to be into whatever some mid seventies rock band. Yeah, yeah. And all of the students looked at me like, you know, what are you doing here? You know, they were yeah. serious jazz heads, and they had a bit of a Grateful Dead thing going as well. It was a funny. I just never been exposed that's to strange. it. That's strange. Like Lenny Tristano and the Grateful Dead, that's a very strange yeah. uh, uh, thing right there. I would never have thought of that. And, you know, I got to say, I mean, they, I don't know if they, I don't know where these people got work. I never right. saw them anywhere, in any club, anywhere. I very rarely bump into anyone who said, yeah, I took lessons from Lenny, you know. <laughs> so it remained, and I, went, I, I remember I went to one party that they threw. After a month or two, someone said, hey, why don't you come to this party? A lot of those, us students are going to be there. And I lasted about an hour. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, sitting there going, oh, my God. But everyone would sit down, and um, they'd sit down at the piano, and they would play like Lenny. Right. You know, walking bass line with the left hand. Uh-huh. Just Like blowing. an ostinato and an odd time signature yeah. or something. And they'd just be, and they'd be, you know, looking really geeky. And... Uh, <laughs> The whole thing was like it was a. Ama- I was like intimidated, yet I was horrified by yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, well, you that was not the direction for you no. going, obviously. And I think you're probably are pretty happy you didn't go in that. I I wrote in a book. I remember I had a, a bunch of books in my, where I would write music, and I went ahead like a hundred pages, and uh-huh. I wrote a note to myself uh, to remember like who I was, you mm-hmm. know, remember you like to play like this. Yeah. Cause yeah. I was thinking like, I don't want to turn into these people, but I know that Lenny is a guy I have to spend some time right. with. He was just like a genius. Um, but it was, it was, you know, life changing, but fr- and frightening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course you have to do those things and you have to go to those spaces that are maybe not in your immediate wheelhouse because they're not in your immediate wheelhouse. You have to go experience that stuff and, and figure out why it's not for you. I mean, I, I happen to be in that group, Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it worked, it was, it paid $100 a week more than my furniture <laughs> moving job did at the time. So I took it. And, you know, and, 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 you know, musically it was really not very challenging. The guys were great. All the people were fantastic. Yeah. 
But, you know, it offered me, uh, I, we were on tour with you too, you know, and it offered me as an experience to see all this stuff and to realize that, you know what, that's not for me. That's not the world for me. I need to figure out how to make a living in music and not do that. N not a judgment on that. It's just what I want to hear and do musically generally won't fit in. If it happens to fit into that world, then great I'm, I'm going for it you know <laughs> but generally it didn't you know so but but I'm really glad that I had that experience to see be able to see the bigger landscape more clearly you know of, of what of what it it's is great open you know? your eyes yeah you know open your eyes I mean I never pass up a uh, maybe as I get older I pass them up but I, I, I try not to pass up a a chance to get my ass kicked by someone who really knows their game way better than I than I do. You yeah. know what I mean? I'd always, you know, it might it might be painful, like doing a really hard math problem, but yeah. afterwards it feels good when That's you right. figure it out. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's true. So uh, I don't know, but um, <laughs> man, so I was also just thinking on like how what it was like because I remember you also when I probably because I had been I went off on my own thing you know when I was about 16 or 17 but I would come always be coming back to the store because my mom plays yeah. guitars there I would see you there yeah. and I remember one time I came back and you had just uh, made a whole record on your credit card that's right and this is the probably the mid 80s yeah. maybe even earlier than yeah, that yeah that would have been 85 I started working on that record that became Night of this Earth right it was my second attempt at a solo record um, and one that had real drums, real bass, and right know, because the other one had was just all guitar, and yeah, I put it on a credit card. Yeah, I think my rate was nineteen point nine percent. Oh my god, <laughs> can you believe that? Oh, that's so painful. But you know what though? <laughs> and I remember people being like askance at that, being like, "Man, he's he's really crazy because he's <laughs> making this." I mean, no one makes like an instrumental rock that's right. records. Yeah. And I remember that, and then I remember you telling me, you know, um, here's the thing, and I, and I always will remember this, because you said, you, you have to understand that there's a hell of a lot of people in the world, and if you, your audience is out there, even if it's only 10% of the people, or 1% of the people, if you can find a way to reach your audience, you'll be okay. You know? That's true. And I've used that as my credo. I mean, my audience is much smaller than your audience, but I've reached them, and I'm able to go play for them once or twice a year. That's you great. know, That's you know, and, and, and it works, you know? And hey, I mean, I still put my records on my credit card. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Oh wow, that's crazy! Crazy to, th uh, to think that uh, that someone would think that that was an okay thing to do because I had no reserves back then, you know. And Rabina and I were were just doing it month to month. And, sure. Uh, but we, for some reason, we both thought, well, this is a great idea, you yeah. know. Can't get the money from the bank, and no one will uh, affront us the money at the studios because, just like you said, the genre didn't exist. So people were saying, like, are you crazy? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Why would you throw your money away doing something like a vanity project? That's, I know. You know yeah. yeah. But it, it, it did work out, and, and uh, but it was rough going. And, and oh, I, I remember. Yeah. Saved by the best. I was saved by the great Kin Band, actually. Oh, really? I, was, uh, I remember pretty clearly because of the, it was a, a very emotional week where I was 
realizing that this whole credit card scheme was not working out too well. Because <laughs> I was really having a hard time paying this thing off. You were just barely making your interest, probably. That's that right, point. yeah. yeah and it was heavy. sitting at like, the, the limit was five grand, and I was sitting at four, eight something, and the next interest payment was going to push it over my limit. Mm. And so that was like collection agency time. Right, you know? right. And so I'm sitting there teaching, and I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do exactly? How am I going to work this thing out by Friday? And I got a call from Steve Wright and Greg Kinn. They were at Fantasy, and their guitar player, right in the middle of an album project, had uh, just gone down. You know, I think he was heroin or something, oh, whatever, man. but he was having a hard time. And so for the second time in the last three years, I said, could you please join our band, at least come down and finish this record for right us. Right on. So, it, you know, I was just thinking, I was looking, credit card debt, Greg. Yes, you know, let me do I'll, it. I'll do it, you know. Uh, and so I spent the year with them, that was the deal. Right. I'd do a year of touring, finish the album, and uh, they just laid, they just had so much money. Because they had that big hit. They had a big hit, right. so they had, there was money, there was drugs, there was airplanes, there was all this stuff that, you know, you read about, but right. you're never exposed to when you, when you haven't yet gotten your foot in the door. And uh, it was the perfect thing for me because it wasn't a lot of work. They didn't actually right. work a lot. Right. So while I was collecting my salary and, and, you know, by the end of the week, I'd paid off that debt for the yeah. record, I started uh, dealing with Relativity in licensing the album. Right. Relativity, uh, that was a record company at the, at the time. Yes, yeah. Uh, there was a... a the parent company was Important Record Distributors out in Jamaica, and Jamaica, Queens. Right. Um, and um, they had two sub-labels. They had Combat, which was all thrash metal, and they had just started this thing called Relativity. Uh. And I think they had Alan Holsworth, and they had just signed Steve. Um, and Steve had a copy of my record, and, and he called me one day and he said, you know, you're not going to believe this, but there's a label who will actually put out my album. You know, Steve Vai's Flexible. Right. And he had said that, you know, your record's much more normal than mine, and I bet if they sign me, they'll sign you. Can I send them a tape? And I said, yeah, I don't care, sure, go ahead. Right, right. I didn't think anything of it until uh, they, the main guy at the label, Cliff Coltrary, called up and said, I want to put your record out. This is great. Wow. So. I thought, well, sure, fine. But I think it took about a year for him to convince the rest of the label to do it. Wow. So it came out just as my year with Greg Kin finished up. Yeah. So yeah. it really did take a year for that thing to come out. I was playing with Jonas Helborg in, in Scandinavia at the time and Danny Gottlieb when that thing came out. And it sort of came and went. Within a month, they signed me to a deal to do a, you know, a set of real records, the mm -hmm. first of which was Surfing with the Alien. and that. That and that really was your changed. big breakthrough It was. Record. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a million stories. I, I sort of detailed all the trials and tribulations in the book so people know that it wasn't just like, right. I had this idea, I recorded it, and it was successful. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the thing, like, when, I, when I'll say something about, oh, yeah, you know, Just Thought China is my teacher, to, to my compatriots, most of the people I play with are like, they, you know, they're you know they're just getting by you know what I mean and their immediate the funny thing is their immediate thing is they just assume somebody like you they only see the picture yeah. the big picture of like oh man this guy's huge and immediately saying, and I was just like but you know what you scratch the surface of that shit if they're a musician 
and their dad doesn't own a big trucking company <laughs> or uh, doesn't own the record company or anything, you could be guaranteed that their scuffling was just exactly the same as yours is. And, and, and I was just like, you know what? And I say this in many people's, different people's defense, because like I know John Mayer as well, you know, like he would come to my gigs and be like, oh, Mr. Hunter, you know how, you know, and, and I'm just like, you know what? What people don't understand is that with the slightest twist of fate, none of this could ever have happened. It doesn't negate the talent. It doesn't negate the musical intention. It doesn't negate that is all stuff that that will always be constant. At least that's what I tell myself when I'm still just like, I, I need to make an extra 500 bucks this month. You know what I mean? Because yes, it, it is constant and it's always there. And as long as you're always doing that and, and, and the vision is always in going uh, in, in a progressive fashion, then it's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then it's totally fine. But yeah, they don't realize it's like, well, you know that dude financed his whole record on a credit card back <laughs> in the day. And I didn't even know it was like Russian style percentage points <laughs> on it either. Quite a vigorish they put on you. Oh you my know? God. It was so cool. What a crazy idea. But you, but know. you know what? It's a crazy idea, but it's not a crazy idea because I just feel like as musicians, we have to we have to develop some innate sixth sense that we don't even know about that that makes us follow through on the most absurd decisions <laughs> that anyone in, in a reasonable profession with a reasonable state of mind would never even imagine doing that's right yeah. you know i mean the craziest stuff happens like why would hendrix move to london it's <laughs> absurd what an absurd idea yeah. You know what I mean? Or why would you ever think of moving to New York in the, in the 50s? Or any of these things, yeah. you know? I mean, I, when I quit that hypocrisy band, people are like, you're crazy, that's no. the gravy train, you're nuts. I'm like, ah, well, it might be the gravy train, but I've just lost my taste for gravy, I guess, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that, what, what year was that? That was the eight, like late 80s, late 80s yeah, early 90s, you know? Well, where did they go after that? After you left, uh, I don't, well, Michael Franti was the head guy, yeah. and he's kind of like a, a, a kind of a, artist, right? Yeah, he's kind of like a. I don't think of him more as a musician. He's more of kind of like a lifestyle kind <laughs> of guy. You know what I mean? And he's a sweet guy. He's still the same sweet guy he always was. You know, he's good people. But um, but you know, I mean, you got to figure out what it is for for you and yeah. move in that direction. Yeah, yeah, you know, all those crazy things you think about them. As you get older, if you're lucky enough to have children, you you got to remind yourself of those crazy, inexplainable things that you do in your youth, based on that gut feeling, that mm -hmm. that inner drive, you know, to to succeed. Because you'll see it in your son or your daughter, you know, that well, that your first reaction is, "What the hell are they doing?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it totally is. It totally is. Yeah, all yeah. the time. I think if my son came to me and said, "Look, I'm going to make a movie, and I'm going to use this credit card that just got sent to me in the mail," I'd be like, "Whoa, <laughs> slow down, <laughs> slow down." Yeah, but it's a their world is is. I'm assuming your kid is. Um, I think your son's older than my kids. Uh, my son's 21. Oh yeah, so yeah my yeah. my son is 13. My daughter's okay. 11. So they're Great. just in that. But he is, he's a digital native, yeah. too, and, and their world is very different, very from, different. from ours. Yeah. Their, their culture, it's a different thing. It's quite impenetrable in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that's their thing. But, you know, the other thing I was thinking about was, was just, like, the idea now 
what we had in Berkeley at that time where you know I would be a 15 year old kid go to take lessons from you you take me to a rehearsal with your band the squares oh cool <laughs> and I was just like wow this is really cool and you know then then you'd be like you know what there's a gig tonight let's go to the gig and it was Alan Holdsworth at the Keystone Berkeley oh, or there's another gig come on let's go. I'm gonna take you you know let's, let's go to this gig or, or whatever it was and I don't I don't think that that culture really exists anymore or at least I when I visit these places I, I, it doesn't exist it's not the music is not in the ether like it was when we were young it's mm-hmm. not a touchstone it's not it's not the same way I mean it's still there obviously but culturally it's not the way that we communicate we send these smoke signals to one another there yeah. there are so many other competing forces hmm. you know and those the the generally like the the seats of the of the higher music scenes are become too too expensive for musicians to live especially young musicians yeah. like we once were with no money mm. how do we get into this place how do we how do we find our way well you you somehow how did you end up in berkeley anyway uh, my two older sisters joan and carol had moved there uh, because maybe one of their friends in college had landed there and said hey this place is cool Come right. on out. It's all, and it was cool. It's all freaks. And yeah. <laughs> and so I went out, I think, uh, when I was still in high school, I spent a few weeks in San Anselmo on a summer vacation. And I kind of fell in love with the fact that there were just so many freaky people. And there was like no, none of that East Coast uh, um, attachment to the old world. There was mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. I, maybe growing up where I did uh, in Car Place in Westbury. Uh, and the like the you, you got out there and people didn't expect you to play accordion gigs exactly <laughs> yeah there, it, it just seemed to be a little bit more open the culture was a little less tied to the European roots and maintaining it or maybe keeping the Irish and the Italians away from each other sure, thing. sure. and there were none of my relatives there which was great you know right sure at that uh, age you know, expecting you to fall in line with the rest of your mm-hmm. <laughs> your relatives, and uh, so I just thought, well, this is really kind of relaxing, and it's kind of cool, and you could maybe imagine yourself in an entirely different way. Uh, so I went out there again, and then I think the second or third time, I decided just to stay there yeah. for a while. And I, I'd been on tour with this disco band, and it was so demoralizing. It was a good paycheck, but it was very demoralizing. Yeah. And so um, after you know just banking a bunch of the salary that I got from that band I decided to take a few months off and I Mm -hmm. specifically decided I'm going to go to Berkeley I'll hang out with my sisters and I'm going to practice all day long Mm -hmm. and I spent two or three months practicing 13 hours a day right on and I and at the end of it it was like this great epiphany but then I also uh, got mononucleosis and then was in bed oh for two months oh my god so I just like played myself to the ground yeah you did yeah I really probably did. yeah uh, but uh, I you know I got out of bed eventually <laughs> yeah for sure and I had made some friends I followed them to Japan for a few months and just sort of bummed around yeah. and then wound up back in Berkeley and thought okay I'm gonna try to make it work yeah you know, yeah and, um, and I and I remember because my mom you know, because I was studying guitar with a woman who was good, but she was more like a big band kind of guitar player, you know. And, and I was like, I wanted to learn the stuff that the kids were learning that the girls liked, you yeah. know. And, uh, and, and she said, well, there's a guy, you know, at the guitar store that I work, I repair for. Just go down there and, and take lessons with him. And I mean, I remember vividly 
that scene, not just at Secondhand Guitars, which is what the store was called, but yeah. or Larson yeah. Music, but also at Subway Guitars. And I mean, people would say, well, how did you, you know, uh, I've, I, all I did was I, I would just go to one guitar store and sit there playing and listening to better players than me until they kicked me out. And then I'd go to the other <laughs> guitar store and do the same thing. And eventually it would be dark and it would be time to go home. You know what I mean? But I remember... The thing that I liked about it, in hindsight, was that it was a situation where you had all these people from very disparate backgrounds playing guitar with very disparate playing styles, yet everyone would be able to sit in a room together and pass a guitar around. Like Alex Skolnick, I still I see Alex Skolnick every once in a while, or um, uh, Eric Dinwiddie is, yeah. is my buddy, you know, we, we still hang, and there's all these people from that era, Larry Lalonde, who I will see on occasion, yeah. and um, some of the other guys you taught as well, like, uh, uh, you could, well, uh, Kirk Hammett, yeah, Kirk. and uh, um, Rick Humo, is Rick still with us? I don't um, know. He replaced Kirk in Exodus. Um, David Bryson, he wound yeah. up in Counting Crows. Yes, Day and, and, uh, uh, Kevin Cadigan, he was in Third Eye Blind for for quite a few years. I didn't um, know him. Uh, there was a uh, see. I remember a lot of the band names and uh, Sacri. Who was the kid who was in Sacrilege? That's a great name. Some Sacrilege. Of, he brought it. I remember he brought in the <laughs> album cover, and it was uh, a nun being crucified and then being molested with a, another crucifix. And you know, ghoulish monsters, far. and it was. Oh I looked at this God. and I said, this dude, "Really? <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, you're, you're either going to go really far, or you're going to be killed very quickly." Oh I, I, it God. was like so bad and so evil and disgusting, and oh I, I. Next stop, Vatican City. You really? I. There was so much that I, I yeah. could have said to him. I remember looking at that, thinking like, first of all, <laughs> first of all, kid, let me tell you something about the music business, you know. <laughs> But you know, like it's not gonna, you're just not gonna be able to display it anywhere. Um, it was ahead of its time because with, uh, in the age of the internet, it would have been ahead uh, because it would have had worldwide exposure uh, Without in, being within censored. five seconds. Right. And then it would have found its audience immediately. Yeah, yeah. But back then it wouldn't have gotten past all the censored levels. No, no. But then the other thing, that just the whole karmic thing about it, I just, you know, I wanted to say, you know, if you, if you uh, if you put out a record that's called uh, One Legged Freaks, be, don't be surprised if One Legged Freaks show up at your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know if, if so, you know is that what you want showing up? <laughs> yeah. That's what you're going to attract. Is like oh my god, murder rapist is like is oh this really? Oh my god, yes. So, but I w it, it was the generation was already so different than mine that I thought I'll just be quiet and just stick to right. the lesson. <laughs> right. There right. was still music. I mean, they were still working on the same twelve notes. It's just that yeah. the way they like to you know wrap it up. They were expressing some other kind of rage, and uh, you know it was rage at blues. It was rage against the new wave dance music. Right. Right. Um, and I loved all of that stuff personally because I just played with all those guys. I mean, I was young, you know, I mean, after I was d not done studying with you, but I just started getting gigs when I was like 16 or 17 and playing with all these bands. And I was just like, man, I don't hate any of this music. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what's the thing that I had a problem with was like, let's, 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 it's like food. It's like, let's hate gluten. <laughs>
<laughs> let's disc gluten for a while. You know what I mean? It's like, well, wait a minute. And it's like that disco sucks thing. It's like, man, Nile Rogers sounds pretty damn good yeah, to me. Yeah. <laughs> right hand of doom. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. But that's but that's how, like we were talking about earlier. That's what happens when when music is such an important part of your culture and who you are you definitely start to really want to define yourself not as much by what you like but by what you don't like mm -hmm. and that because especially when you're a teenager you know yes. how they are that becomes a big thing you very know? big thing you know oh i'm in the goth group or no i'm in the hip-hop group yeah. or, I mean, those are really important things to them I, that would happen know? at you know at secondhand guitars one kid would walk out of the room, the next person would come in and they'd have something to say about the kid who the just kid left. The kid that walked out of the you room, know, wow. That guy's into death rock, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, that guy's rockabilly asshole. Yeah, know? that was me. That would be me, the rockabilly asshole, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've, it's a funny thing. I've, there's, it, it, when you're that young, the difference between the ages is huge, you know. Yeah. 14 to 16 is a lifetime and, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was in my 20s, so I was like really old compared to a lot of the students that were teenagers. So I already was looking from above with, you know, with that sort of um, overview of life as I'm watching my younger versions of myself kind of chuckling inside but saying, you know, these, it's all right. You know, they're, they're very emotional about these little differences and eventually right. they'll converge. They're going to realize that music is convergence, not divergence. Yeah. All of it is. Yeah. yeah, no, that's very true. And um, But they use it as an energy. It's an energy that I think helps people uh, focus. It's the beauty, just from a teacher's point of view, the beauty of the 14-year-old is that the body is working like it'll never work before. Right. Every second it's new, it's building, it's yeah, like some, sure. you know, strange organism that's out of control. Mm -hmm. And in every way, in every direction. Really. And if you give them something, introduce to them something that they like, and you you show them how they can get better at it, uh, the the result is phenomenal. It's yeah. just freaky. And and yes. even even when you're in your twenties, it starts. You 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 start to see youth as this crazy thing, mm -hmm. uh, even though you thought you were young. Exactly. But there's there's nothing like feeling your age than teaching younger people. It's just right. you suddenly realize, oh my God, the miracle of life. It, yeah. It's like it's in those first right. number of years, you know. It's funny that you say that because I remember my mom telling me when I said, oh yeah, you know, the lessons are going good, like he's, he's really, really good, like for, like someone, you know, your age, to my mom, like he's cool, and, <laughs> and she goes, well, you know, he's not my age, he's actually not much older than you, and I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? But to me, that was just, like you said, you know, five, ten years at that point is like, a, that's the, the experiential thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, when you're 14, you, you have these life-changing experiences every ten minutes, yes. you know? Because you're forming your, your reality at that point. Now we're just kind of like, you know, trying to keep the... <laughs> keep the train of just on barely yeah, on schedule. The arc is very different. Exactly, very different. You know yeah. that I I got that teaching job reluctantly. I, I somehow uh, moved across the street, right next to uh, Fat Apples. Oh, the the restaurant. The restaurant, right? <laughs> there was this little 
I don't know if you remember, Brown Shingle House. I remember it because right. I knew someone who lived there. Okay, so... It fell into a bit of ill repute later. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so there was a studio apartment that was the back half of the house. Oh, okay. And I was looking for an apartment, and uh, it was it was horrible. All the things that were within my budget were horrible. And all of a sudden, there's this place, and it's across the street from the guitar store, at right next to the mecca of burgers and coffee. Right, right? exactly, yeah. And... Uh, it was a terribly small place, and I think it was like 200 a month, and, and I thought, you know, I know this is probably out of my budget, but I'm just going to rent this place because of the guitar store only, right? Really? Wow. So I'm at the guitar store every day, and I'm just sitting there, I'm playing, and I'm picking stuff up, and Larson's looking at me like, you're not going to play that, are you? And I'm like, yeah, what, what, what's this? He goes, well, that's a 1948, some blah, right, blah, blah. Right, right, right. I, he knows after about two weeks, I'm not buying a thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Not a thing, right? So one day he says, you're not going to buy anything, are you? And I said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, how about this? How about uh, you give lessons? So you can, all, all the time you're spending here playing, at least you can... You know, you can generate some traffic yeah, into the yeah. store. You can get paid for it. And I said, man, I just, I'm not giving lessons anymore. I'd done that when I was in high school. And I didn't want to do, get back into that. I was looking for yeah. a band to join, a California sure, sure. band. You yeah, know? sure. Uh, but he talked me into it eventually, so. You, know, you had a lot of students for a while was, there, right? That was I mean, nuts. It was 60 students. Wow. For, and it was a 10-year stretch. Wow. And, and uh, So you started there when? 78. Okay. Because I, like I, I remember it was 1979 when I, yeah, when yeah. I had a, a lesson with you. Yeah, it was something like that. I, I, I remember that because one, a student I met many years later had the book. Right. And it had the date had the in date there, and I had it. kind of forgotten. Wow. Late 77, 78. But that's, I think it was in late 77 that I decided to return and stay yeah, in Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and it just grew and grew, and then I would teach in the body of the store when the store wasn't open, and then uh, Jim built that godforsaken that transitional thing. Space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's you know, when people say you know you pay your dues. It's like that's that's that what I remember. No window all day. Mm, no window. Tasty. Next to the toilet, the sound of rats and mice doing yeah. things behind the walls. It was just like. <laughs> I remember some days I'm thinking, really? Am it's I like doing <laughs> this here? But Jim was cool, Jim Larson. He was, he was a good guy. He he hooked my mom up with work, yeah. you know. And I just I have fond memories of him and the people that worked there. I ran into Michael Boyd. Oh, really? Uh, at some point many years ago, and he's was working then. I I'm assuming he's writing music for films TV and commercials. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I borrowed a, a dobro from from him. Uh, 90 what jesus what's what year was that 94 95 um and he he, had, he and his partner had a place uh near fantasy uh-huh uh and it was a music house so they were they were pretty successful at the time yeah but i don't know what he's done since then i don't know something in his living room probably or his basement you right know, yeah that's how it's all done these <laughs> he, days. Was a, he was a good player yeah, yeah. he yeah, I, I remember though he lived up in the hills uh, I don't know if you've ever been to his house before. Mm -hmm. uh, he lived, I remember the first time he said, oh, come up to the house for lunch. And I, I had no idea that people lived like that right. in Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like Hollywood, like what I thought Hollywood was like, exactly. you know, Beverly Hills. Yeah. It was the Beverly Hills of Berkeley. And, and I was like, wow. Oh man, I mean, <laughs> there was such a dividing line when I was a kid. 
then it was it was um, Grove, which is now Martin Luther King. Yeah. And and between Grove and Shattuck was kind of a no man's land. And as soon as you got above Shattuck and you started to get it, well, that was a whole different group yeah. of people. Those were the haves. <laughs> and and we weren't really the have-nots. We were the have a hell of a lot less, <laughs> you know. And that's we stayed in the flatlands. And I remember getting like a having a, somebody wanted to play music and having to take one of the buses up into the hills to their house. Mm. And I felt really out of place. Like, what is this? I mean, now, of course, it's all the same thing. It's just all the hills, the whole, the whole place at this is point. It, I, have, yeah. I haven't hung out there enough to know anymore what, what it's like. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, funny, right? I think I wound up, the, the first apartment I lived in was on Walnut Street, just down the block from where the first Pete's was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whatever that, that area was. Sure. Oh, right behind Chez Panisse. Totally. How did that happen? I, I lived right next to two restaurants. Because it was cheap. It was cheap. <laughs> there. I mean, it cons- wow. comparatively, I mean, my aunt, when she came to live with us, she worked at that Pete's in the, in the right? early se- or the mid late seventies, and you know, so I grew up drinking only Pete's coffee. We'd have a fridge fi- uh, filled with that coffee. So here I am, this kid, like I'm drinking this coffee, and eventually I go up and I end up like on the road in the states, and I'm like, "Can I have a coffee?" And I remember having a coffee at like I was like, "What's this? Is did you not put coffee and bre- it didn't get brewed? What is? Because I grew up on that Pete's. I mean." You know, we were still kind of like barely making the rent and everything, but we had a fridge full of Pete's <laughs> coffee at all times, you know. That's kind funny. of a strange... That must have been like serious withdrawal. Like yeah, yeah, it was intense. So luckily I'm not a coffee drinker anymore. Oh, but, really? But I that know. was... I, I can't kick it. <laughs> you good for you, man. More power to you. I've tried. Three or four Ooh. times in my life I've tried. Well... On that note, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Time for coffee, Time right? Time for coffee, <laughs> right now.